0: Hi there. My name's Peter Bale, and today I'm speaking with Charlie Reverte, who was CTO of SparkPost, which recently got acquired and is now the SVP of technology at MessageBird. Charlie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today.
1: Thanks. The pleasure is mine. Looking forward to this.
0: Likewise. So I, I really am excited to talk to you about engineering team retention, right? it's Everyone's talking about the great resignation and all the issues. Like, uh, what, what's going on with that? Do you, do you have any like background or context?
1: Um, there's a lot going on right now. I think a confluence of multiple dynamics in the industry and, and the economy at large. Uh, my experience when COVID hit, especially in a uh, SaaS technology company, where we're really critical infrastructure for, for many of the largest enterprises in the world. There's a big adrenaline rush of we got to keep things running. We're, you know, we gotta, we got to keep the, the e-commerce economy going and as vaccines have rolled out and summers come around i think some of the adrenaline has worn off while the job market is really heating up a lot of uh, businesses that were not investing so heavily in technology now have have changed their attitude so uh, there's a lot more demand for tech talent and people i think are reconsidering their options whether they're happy where they want to be and what's the best place for for them to be so i think that's driving a lot of these dynamics.
0: So to, to get some context, I, I think you were mentioning there was a, a Harvard Business Review statistics. And like, how, how big is is this potential problem?
1: Yeah, I was, we we're joking that um, the Harvard Business Review article said that 48% of people are considering leaving their jobs. Um, last week, I saw an article that was saying now it's 70%. And I'm expecting that by next week, it'll be over 100%. Uh, so it's, just, it's, just, it's just going up depending on, on on who you believe. But I don't actually think that's a uniform phenomenon. I think there's a lot of detail that we can click into.
0: So so to get a sense, as, as you, especially as you narrow that down, that's obviously across the industry, whether you're working as a short order chef or, or a CEO. As you bring that into engineering teams, are there any things that you're seeing or noticing, I, either personally or, or like as you speak to your peers?
1: Uh yeah, and I want to be really transparent here and open up with maybe some some sensitive stuff that uh, I might not have been able to do it at a prior, a prior employer but um <laughs> our, our turnover is up. Um call it like roughly roughly double run rate. Um but there's there's more important facets to it, right? So before I think we had a pretty healthy trend of uh regrettable versus non-regrettable term, uh, resignations or I guess uh terminations which we which we track and the the blend is off, right? So we're losing more regrettable people. Uh as a ratio. And we're also losing, high, losing higher performers and not some, some managers. And, and it hurts. Like every one of those, I mean, I, I know it's just business and it's just a job, but I, I suffer every one. <laughs> I, I want to keep all of them. And, and um, you know, they're, 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 you, you can't get through this unscathed, but, but I think we all owe it to try.
0: Do, what do you think, how do you, how do you try to, to get through this? What are some of the things you think you can do to, to reduce um, regrettable attrition?
1: Um, it's, it's a great question. Uh, I, th- I think it's really a blend of techniques. I don't think there's there's one that, that uh, you can just do by itself and it will work. Um, the one that's most talked about, obviously, is compensation. With uh, you know, sum- supply and demand being uh, what, drives, what drives markets uh, and demand being a lot higher, their uh, w- wages are going up. There's no way around it. Um, in the United States, inflation is up too. And there's, there's a lot of dynamics driving compensation. So um, you have to get that right. Um, we have to get that right. It's we're running an internal process on that right now. And it's something that, um, you, you have to pay people what they're worth. You have to treat them fairly. You have to show them in, in, in real terms that, that, that they have value to your organization.
0: Now, maybe um, just to dig into that piece for a little bit, cause I know there's a lot of pieces to this. How do you do that? Is it firstly, do you only hire in, in certain geographies or use open to a
1: remote team? We, so that's a great question. We actually have to transition to a full remote forever. Uh, we wow. used to have half of our engineering team, or roughly half of the company was in the Washington, D.C. area, in mm-hmm. Columbia, Maryland. And then we had people in San Francisco, uh, Omaha, Denver, Kansas City, U.K., Canada, sort of spread around for various expansions and acquisitions. And when COVID hit, we decided to go fully remote forever. So a couple of key changes. We, um, you know, I think the idea of location-based compensation is gone, it's done. Well, so
0: let me dig into that because that, yeah. that's another piece, right? So um, so I've, I've seen various strategies. One is, is a very straightforward one. We pay everyone San Francisco rates, right? Which is yeah. great because you can suck up the best talent anywhere that isn't the Bay Area. Then another one is, well, you know what, we're going to give a a small discount. We can't afford San Francisco across the board, but we'll do 20% below that, but you can live anywhere. And then the next one is, well, every time you move home, you have to send us a new zip code and we're going to let you know whether we're going to take money out of your next paycheck or add some more. So where, where do you sit on that spectrum and why?
1: Uh, so I don't actually start that conversation with the price tag. That's like when you go to buy a car and the salesperson says, Hey, well, what's your budget? I'm like, I'm not telling you, (laughs) you know, I, I think it's the wrong approach to me. It's much more of a value play. Um, so I believe in hiring better, uh, better and smaller teams, if you will, if you think of like a Metcalfe's law, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, the more people you have, the more coordination overhead there is. So I, I, I believe in building teams that are higher, higher impact people, uh, you know, fewer of them for the same budget that doesn't mean you only hire senior people. I think it's very important to have across the, the spectrum of experience to broaden there. But, but to me, it's, it's less about benchmarking on some offset of San Francisco and instead looking for national wages. Um, so SparkPost has been around a long time. Uh, I, I might talk about this in differential terms to what we used to do. I think it was a common compensation strategy for location-adjusted pay in distributed businesses. And now everyone is in a national talent market so I, I think that's gone. The idea that you could like discount somebody based upon being in a low cost of living area is gone. So now we, um, we, we adjust to market like national market rates. Uh, but also like symmetrically and, and no, no offense to any of your listeners. We, we do not actually actively source for recruits anymore in San Francisco and New York and some of the higher cost of living areas. Um, there's some really amazing people there. Um, some of them have moved out, some of them have moved in, but for us, You know, really thinking as a remote first company, it's not the right strategy for like, how am I trying to build shareholder value with my OPEX, right? With my R&D budget, I want to get the maximum impact.
0: And it's tough, right? And it's—I always hear the people who say, "Oh, we're competing against Facebook, Google, Netflix, Apple for talent." I'm like, "Really? You're paying three hundred a year for your engineers?" <laughs> it's like, and most of them, well, no, like one twenty-five. I'm like, yeah. "Good luck," and, and I'm not saying that you can't compete on other factors, which we'll, we'll come to in a bit. But I, I think it's a fiction for most companies to say that they're going to outcomp Facebook or Netflix or, or Google.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't want to work there. Right. There's, there's, I I would already be working there if I wanted to, you know, so there's, there's different things that I value in a job and I need to get paid appropriately and and Mm -hmm. all of our employees need to, but there's a, a, I think a total picture that uh, we we can talk about.
0: Yeah. So, so let, let, let's open it up to that, that total picture, which is once you start going beyond comp, what do you think are some of the, the things that you do to, to retain talent uh, during the great resignation?
1: Um, it's a great question. Um, so we're we're all different, you know, but also we're all humans and we have a lot of the same needs. Um, so we all want to uh, be pushed and be challenged and and grow, right, and, and gain experience, uh, recognition. We want to be part of a winning team. We want to be treated fairly, be valued by our colleagues, get exposed to new ideas, all, all those sorts of things. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the – it's called the Biceps model, but oh. it's a nice um, – I'll, I'll send you a link so we can post it. But it's yeah. a nice model of sort of some um, – uh, core, core human needs that's relevant to this type of conversation that we should look for how to how to how to solve for um, but if i can kind of pull it all around one idea it, it's about growth 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 for each individual right um, I, th- I think w- once you're paid appropriately um, you know incremental pay beyond that doesn't really it doesn't really have a lot of uh, return in terms of morale motivation longevity
0: or it's um, hygiene, not a motivator, right? It's something that if you get it wrong, you lose people. But if you get it more right, that doesn't inherently keep people there. And, and worst case, it might might keep the wrong people there who really don't want to work there, but just can't afford to give up the comp.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you may have heard of a story where there were some experiments done uh, to try to get more blood donations and blood drives, and they mm-hmm. started paying $20 or whatever. And they actually saw the rate uh, crash because you took something that had intangible value of saving a life, you know, like unpriced good. And mm-hmm. now you said it's just 20 bucks and like now you're just doing it for the money. And, and uh, it's like,
0: look, an hour of my time plus half an hour. It just it just doesn't make sense for a lot of yeah. the people who'd otherwise have donated.
1: Yeah. So uh-huh. what I will say is like it, uh, it's it's about growth for every employee. Right. It starts with what are their goals? You know, it, it's obvious in the interview process that the company wants to get what the company wants. But we don't spend enough time about what does the employee want. Um, I love the starting question of what are your five-year goals? What do you mm-hmm. see yourself doing? What do you aspire to? Not in some like far distant future, but something that something tangible that uh, can involve a lot of growth between here and there and make a, make a plan around it.
0: Now, do you have a mechanism to like formally make sure that, that managers are capturing and tracking that information so that you can help people to move towards their career goals whilst also supporting the company mission?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, certainly. So we, we that's that's a standard uh, um, question in in our in our discussion guides for giving feedback, um, but it's it's not enough. So we use a platform called Fifteen Five for talent management and feedback, and they've just launched a career paths uh, f- feature in, in recent weeks, and we're really excited to use that. So I want every manager um, with everyone of their direct reports to have that discussion about like what are your goals, and let's come up with an explicit career path for you. So for example, I've had several people leave because like, hey, I you know I, I want to be a manager, but I don't see any, any open positions and I have to like go to another company to be a manager, which <laughs> is the opposite because like I actually was like starting two new teams at that time and I would love to have retained them, right? Uh, another thing happened, I lost a lead engineer in a different team and it's like, I already have principles on my team. I feel like I have a ceiling and I can't grow any further. And if you don't have these explicit conversations, you can't uh, set those expectations for people and really get them to where they want to be.
0: Have you noticed that there are any like leading indicators or signals that are, are useful and consistently available to be like, ah, if you start to know, short of like looking through their emails to see if, if anything's going to recruit recruiter, like that, that, that actually kind of gives you an early heads up that somebody is more likely to leave, or is it almost always a surprise?
1: Um, there are signals. Some people will tell you, some people won't. Um, I, I don't think there's a consistent answer to that question apart from the obvious, like if people are disengaged or dropping meetings or, or obviously they're giving negative feedback, that's something you should look into. Um, I kind of have this like utopian ideal of, I wish everyone would come to me and tell me when they're unhappy, like, hey, I'm starting a job search. Uh, hey, I've gotten an offer. Hey, I've accepted like that, that sort of thing before they resign. And you'll, you'll obviously like never get that, right? It's a tremendous personal risk for each employee to risk their livelihood by giving this kind of like, intensely negative feedback to their, to their employer, uh, or, or their boss's boss's boss has happened to me a couple of days ago. Um, and I just, I just really, really commended that employee for being so honest. So it's, it's, it's like a little bit of a big hairy audacious goal, but how, 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 do you create a safe environment for people where they all really can, um, feel that way. Um, another one of my employees was talking about abundance, abundance mindset versus scarcity mm-hmm. mindset. And, um, You know, I, I, like, how do I make at least, at least the workplace, how do I make that safe for everybody where we can all, um, you know, not, not pull any punches and always tell the truth and always be as, as, as bold and, and, uh, and honest about how we feel about work as possible.
0: And I feel like that has secondary benefits because it's kind of overlaps with the kind of safety you need to create to get psychological safety. So people will actually tell you when. Production's going to go down because the database is flashing, and we've no idea why you know it's to have an environment where you can let people tell you the things you don't want to hear and to commend them for it I, I think is 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 always an important part of, kind of like building that that cultural transparency
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. So you always need to be open, you always need to be seeking feedback, you always need to be transparent and working on issues. Um, one, one thing I've gotten from people that surprised me is feedback about how often I say the words I don't know. And I didn't even, never even realize that I say them, you know, it just kind of like, like happens and I, I, it's, it's forgettable. And and like, I feel like in Western leadership culture, there's this pressure to always have the answers. And then if you don't, you have to fake them and always have a response. And I think it's incredibly disarming and, and and really invites create space for other people. The more you're like bold about things that you don't know and, and things that you need help on
0: and it allows them to show that same kind of vulnerability. Like we don't have to have the answers. We just have to work together to figure them out.
1: Exactly.
0: Now, I mean, I feel like some of this is easier at a smaller scale. I mean, one of the deals that I always have with my team is like, look, my commitment to you is firstly, like after you've left, I'm still there for you. Just If you've ever worked for me, you're part of my team. What can I do to help? But then the other part is like, look, let me get you your next job soon as you're not unhappy, as soon as you're unhappy, come to me and I'll reach out to a bunch of West Coast uh, teams that I know that are phenomenal to work on. And I will help you to get a role there. I can't guarantee they'll hire you, but I'll do my best. That works very well for direct reports. It becomes, as you said, it's it's a little harder to be like, oh, wait, my boss's boss's boss said he'd help me leave. But is my boss going to be happy with that? Like, you know, how, and so I think it becomes much harder. How do you try to instill that sense in in your management core so that it's more likely that the direct line manager is is going to get that feedback early, and hopefully we'll be able to resolve a situation before someone leaves.
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's so essential. Uh, it's something I'm still working on. <laughs> but uh, I shared with you an analogy that they they say in in fancy restaurants, the objective isn't to make the best dish possible. For a given uh, a given customer, it's actually like like optimal consistency, so that your average is as close to your 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 max as, as possible. And I, I think that's that's also really applies itself to um, like leadership in in a, a technical organization. How do you um, create consistency? How do you you know while allowing people to have a style and thrive and and and, and have creative license in a states rights kind of kind of environment. Uh, how do you also bring up, um, people to some, to some like really consistent mean where, uh, we can fill in for differences in experience, difference in background, difference in, 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 in that sort of thing. You know, so if if I have one mantra for people, it's like, I want everyone to really be CEO of their own organization their own team, their own job, if they're an individual contributor. Like if this was your money that you're spending, like how, how would you want to do this? Right. Always, always think bigger and, and go that way.
0: So I feel like there are two components there hiring and then training so are there some things you look for when you're hiring into management roles in your engineering org to ensure that it's somebody that's more likely to hit that consistent bar and and to be coachable and and to kind of fit in with the the way you run your org
1: it's a it's a great question um I'll say something ridiculous. First of all, you have to like management. Um, We we, we may have all seen companies where it's like, okay, you're the most senior person you're promoted now, whether or not you actually have that aspiration or interest or or ability.
0: Uh, Let's take our best Uh, programmer and make them our worst (laughs) manager. Great win.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that's been done in places, including here. Um, We're not, we're not perfect, but you know, I I feel like there's, there's a strong correlation obviously between what you like and what you're good at. Um, and people who have that, that aspiration, people who like to take initiative, people who like to um, take sort of ambiguous situations, help even define the success criteria, mm-hmm. the plan to do it. Um, you can see that very very early on. Even even in a starting engineering role, you can see those behavioral patterns. Yeah. Um, so it's really how do you invest in that? We, we have a, a equal. We have dual track of individual contributor versus uh, a people manager um, with with true parity. Director equals principal, all that sort of stuff, compensation, and authority. And you know, for us, uh, I want a lead to have the same impact as a manager, right, on on the company. You have a different paintbrush. You don't do that through people leadership, but I think the same amount of leadership and, and influence on the organization through through technical um, activities is, is is called for.
0: So there's a hiring component. Then there's the having the dual track, so people aren't just like, "Hey, the only way I'll ever make money is if I'm a manager," which is great for the people who take the management track. How do you think about? training them and providing the resources given that most of them started off as programmers and probably chose to do that because they liked computers more than people?
1: <laughs> um, it's a great question. So I have a leadership development program that I created here and the audience is all line managers. Um, it's also backdoor training for my VPs, uh, sorry, <laughs> who, who joined the program. Um, but it's an equal number of individual contributors who um, are they have enough experience where they could be promoted to management within. 12 to 24 months and and have interest and aptitude because I want to have a bench, right? I want to have it where I, I, don't, I don't have twice as many manager positions coming up in two years to offer, but still, if someone gets, if someone gets a shot, I want them to have already been exposed to these ideas instead of jumping into cold water, right? Already have talked about it, already have relationships with other managers that we create, um, in this program. And even if you don't end up being a manager in a short time period, you still are highly influential as a lead um, with others. And I'm happy to report I've already had five manager promotions in the past 12 months from this program.
0: Well, also, I feel like you you probably want to overtrain just a little bit. If you're about to lose 70% of your staff, along with everyone else, you, (laughs) you need to be ready to backfill those positions.
1: Yeah. This, um, and, and this, this, this growth mindset that I'm talking about for individual career paths, it's not just a soft, a soft, squishy thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hyper rational, right? Because the more you can develop your skills and experience today, the faster you can do that. It pays you the rest of your life. You'll be in that next position faster. You know, it has it just accrues dividends for for the the whole rest of your career, and it, it makes perfect sense why someone would value growth over like an incremental dollar today once they're paid appropriately.
0: All makes great sense. So I, I'd love to just hit the other side of this. Everyone talks about the the great resignation and the challenge that there are indeed many people looking for new roles. I mean, there, there's simple stuff, right? There's there's the fact that the comp is out of whack in some places, especially now there's a labor uh, national labor market, which has changed. There's the fact that people didn't want to quit their job while COVID was a particularly, you know, while, while we we're in the early stages of the pandemic and people probably craved security rather than risk and adventure and opportunity. And uh, there's also, I think, a lot of people have been, been locked in their own, you know, four walls for the last year and a half have probably rethought some of their life priorities. All that said excluding the small number of people who decide it's time to become a professional surf instructor or to find themselves in Bhutan, uh, most of them are going to go find a software engineering job somewhere else. How do you think of the Great Resignation as an opportunity for attracting top talent that maybe wasn't valued or or wasn't kept appropriately at their last job?
1: Yeah, I think it's a uh, really, really interesting thing. I'll have people tell me Hey, resignations are up, but also I can't get leads for for open positions. And like those can't be simultaneously true. Uh, <laughs> as so many people are looking. And, and for like, I mean, we, we're getting great candidate flow, but for specific positions, um, that, that 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 sort of thing. So yeah, I I really think um putting your values forward as a business is is one of the most important things that you can do, right? What what makes it great to work there? Why, you know, we have very long tenure of employee base. Like, why is that true? Why? Why do? Why do I love it here? You know, I, I took over a fifty percent pay cut from Oracle to take my job here, and it's it's because of the team, the opportunity, um, the, the mission, and 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 all the raw ingredients we had here to really um, execute on the business.
0: It feels like in many ways, it feels more like it's almost like a dating experience, right? Where finding the right company isn't so much that this company is better than that, but it's better for you because it's, it's a mission you care about. It's a culture that reflects yours. It's a place where you feel that you're represented and that that you can fit in comfortably. How do you, how do you get that story out? How do you find all the people who are busy resigning elsewhere and let them know that that you might be a, a good place to hang out how do you think about creating those kind of attractors
1: um it's easy if you're a major brand uh well-known technology company uh we are not that so we send f- over 40 percent of all the world's business to business and business to consumer email like literally uh almost a majority and SparkPost, i think is pretty much a sleeper brand as a as a hiring as a hiring brand so um you know, for us, it's different for every company, but for us, once we get that initial conversation going and and break the ice, and people see um, really, really the scale of our business, you know how critical we are for, for the whole economy, um, the, the talent, the technology, the scale that we're operating at, like sending well over a billion messages every day. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of really exciting reasons to be here. So so I, I think it's about um, understanding why people work there in the first place, and then and then packaging that, helping, helping communicate that out to the market.
0: Have you noticed any changes or have you thought about any changes to your hiring processes? Cause I mean, you certainly don't want to like rush out and get the wrong people. Uh, but at the same time, I'm still hearing uh, companies that are like taking six months and, you know, eight interviews to, to get a candidate, which presumably they are selecting for people who have no other job options, which may or may not be the best way of hiring the, the, re- the next, your next engineer. Uh, anything you've been changing over the last few months as you've thought through this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've had to really step on the gas. Um, It was was easy with in-person interviews to schedule all the interviews in one day with a candidate on site. And then I think people got really, really lax where it's like, okay, well, whenever it fits in my calendar, we'll spread interviews out over two weeks. And that's the best way to lose to lose candidates. So, you know, I I would totally benchmark on if if we can get offers out in a week of initial contact, that would be an amazing scenario. And we've had to really uh, tighten interview loops Give a scheduling priority to to interviews, uh, send that message, and make really fast hiring decisions. Um, so then someone's always like, "Oh, we can't sacrifice quality," which which is true. But you know, I, I believe that even the world's best uh, hiring processes are only fifty percent accurate predictors of how the situation will play out. And that doesn't mean that half the time you have to fire somebody. It just, in terms of like, what's it really going to be like to work with them? You 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 only get a partial look in any interview process. So I, I think. Um, you do need to balance, like speed, and then have have processes after the fact. So, for example, you should do a sixty day check in uh, with a hiring manager on all new hires to see how they're doing. Are there any corrective actions required? And and take a take a whole funnel view of of building talent for your team.
0: Now, has have you got any pushback or has that been challenging from a feature development perspective in terms of like, well, wait a second, suddenly you're breaking up the whole uh, manager versus maker time thing. And you're asking engineers to take half an hour on a Tuesday morning, then Wednesday afternoon, then Thursday afternoon, and they don't actually get a run at any coding for a while. How, How do you balance that?
1: I mean, it's it's a great uh, challenge. I think ultimately uh, we we persevere because it's like, hey, well, well, don't you want more help? Don't you want people on your team? And and of course, of course, everyone does, and and they they want to help build the best team possible. So you know, once you negotiate, right? If 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 you want for a given organization, keep it to certain days, or ha- has some sort of structure where you can you can preserve the maker time. Um, I think people get it that this is a, an, an imperative for the business.
0: Do you ever play with technology choices from a perspective of a hiring? Because I mean, I remember, especially like at smaller scales, it's like we're gonna be a closure shop. Not particularly yeah. because it's I mean, like it's on the JVM and it, it's functional, there's lots of like nice side effects of using it, but very few side effects given it's a functional language. But um the but the thing is there are very few bad closure developers, right? Because usually by the time somebody's taken on some kind of Lisp, they're Probably a decent developer. Do you ever play with the with with that as as another attractor for hiring, or, or does that feel like a, a distraction to the the core mission? Uh,
1: absolutely, we have. There's different flavors on it. I was just listening to another interview you did recently about um, a company that used Rust and Elm mm-hmm. that I would love to play with um, for for personal projects. My my approach at work as a CTO is. I want to be ultra world class and specialized and different in like the five or ten percent of what we do that makes us different, and everything else I want to be as as mainstream as possible, right? I, I don't want to hire out of a pool that has one hundred thousand developers in the world. I want to hire out of a pool that has ten million developers, right? So Mature this is tool the, chains. Use, use it, boring tools. Use use boring tools. Uh, ma- keep it simple, right? Things that are well understood and advanced. I mean, I remember uh, a decade ago hearing about about React and like this this new thing that had been invented and I'm like, okay, well what actually is it? I'm like, oh okay, this is the same thing that I've heard a bunch of times before. You know, <laughs> and it's a great pattern. I'm glad am glad the advancement is there. But I think uh you know earlier in their career it's easy to um uh not not really appreciate the the tried and true tools versus the fancy new stuff and I, I think it puts you at a hiring disadvantage um if you need to build a scalable team.
0: That makes sense. So as as we're coming towards the end of the time are there any like final thoughts you'd like to share like how, how are you thinking going forwards about any changes to, to the culture the experience the way you communicate the mission to make sure you really can kind of retain your best talent during what is going to be a an interesting 12 or 24 months
1: uh it's that's a, that's a that's probably one of the biggest challenges that a lot of teams have we had a very strong in person culture lots of you know, decade-long relationships built. We we have a, a a promotion here where once you're with the company for seven years, you get to take a long service leave, and the number of them that are happening concurrently is <laughs> just, just an indicator of of the tenure and, and and the stability of our talent base. But then you go remote first, and half of that doesn't translate online, right? Um, your relationships remain, but that doesn't extend to new people, right? Processes that we did in person don't always translate to to video and things like that, so. I think, I think to me, it's um, the, the employee experience is a product like any other. We need to design intentionally. We need to do research. We need to be open and transparent about how we do it. We need metrics. And um, uh, I just hired a new VP of engineering. And one of my top criteria, along with scaling a team, because we're, we're entering a very strong growth mode, is uh, remote leadership. Someone who's been there and done that at the scale that we're going to has worked with distributed teams, cross-culture, uh, cross-time cross zones, and, and, and uh, driven alignment. So uh, tr- treat it as any other problem where you have to innovate and, and, uh, and, and solve for the future.
0: Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today.
1: The pleasure is mine. Thank you very much.